Find your place in the text of Scripture in Proverbs chapter 1 this morning. Proverbs 1. And let me ask for the Lord's help and his blessing as we open his word now. Father, we are grateful that we as a church can gather. And Lord, that we can love one another. We can stimulate one another to love and good works. We can encourage each other in the truth. And Father, together we sit under the teaching of your word, knowing that your word is your revelation. It is authoritative. It is good. It is from you. And we would pray, Father, that your spirit will help us understand. We thank you, Lord, that we have this time now. Please bless us in it and help me in it, Lord, as I deliver your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a commonly known proverb a proverb that's not found in the Bible, but a commonly known proverb that says, there's more than one way to skin a cat. (laughs) Now, the origin of that phrase can be a bit grotesque as I was reading about it today, so I'm not going to elaborate on that. While I can't imagine why anyone would even want to skin a cat, I think we would all agree that the lesson from that proverb is that there are multiple ways to get a job done. And while a job may be accomplished in any number of ways, it is true that there are some ways that are better than others. And sometimes there is a distinctly right way of doing something and a wrong way to do it. And skill is what makes the difference. My dad worked as an appliance repairman for most of his career. And through schooling and experience, he was skilled to be able to diagnose what the problem was with a refrigerator or a washer. He would know how to, uh, after diagnosing it, able to strip it down and find that broken part and replace the part and put it back together. And then in the end, it actually works properly. He knew the right way of doing that. He had skills in regards to that. In mine and Lisa's first year of marriage, I realized I did not inherit such skills. (laughs) Lisa and I lived in a school-owned apartment with a very old refrigerator. It was one of those refrigerators that, if neglected over time, ice would build up on the back wall. And not just a little frosty, it got to be maybe even six inches thick if you didn't deal with it. And so bad that you couldn't even fill the jug of milk inside. When that happened one time, I thought I'd make myself useful and get rid of the block of ice growing on the back wall of the fridge. So I found myself a useful tool, a screwdriver. <laughs> you know where this is going. I began chipping away at the ice and sadly in the middle of my uh, Job, I hear this hissing sound as I punctured the back wall of the fridge and I ruined the entire refrigerator. Now, as an optimist, I could say I made sure that that refrigerator would never freeze over again. Uh, When I called the maintenance man, what I should have did in the first place, I told him I was trying to defrost the fridge with a screwdriver. And then this happened and he looked at me with disgust. And he says, that's not how you do it. All you needed to do was open up the door, and it would have taken care of itself. 
So there's certainly more than one way to do something. There's at least two. There's a right way and there's a wrong way. And skill tells you how to do it the right way. So why all of this story about the presence or absence of skills is because I want to direct our attention to the book of Proverbs. And the purpose of this book is to impart wisdom to the reader. And the word that's translated, you see in verse 2 of chapter 1, the word translated wisdom is this Hebrew word chokmah. And the word chokmah is used to describe a variety of skills that are necessary. We see it used throughout the Bible. Uh, We see it used in Exodus 35, 25, talking about the skills of those who were weaving for the tabernacle. And then in Exodus 36, 1 and 2, it talks about the skills needed for carpenters to build that which would be used. Uh, In fact, in Psalm 107, verse 27, it's, it's referring to sailors that are at their wit's end. And it's talking about the end of their wisdom, the end of their skill. They're fearful. Isaiah chapter 10 verse 13 talks about the skills of warriors and how they would fight. And even in Jeremiah chapter 10 verse 9, the skills of goldsmiths. And so all of these, that that word is used talking about the ability to do a particular job. And we need skills for all sorts of tasks. Of course, there is more than one way to brew a cup of coffee, but what that crew does upstairs is way better than what I could do with a a pod and a Keurig. Uh, They have skills. Um, A few weeks ago, a number of the ladies of our church gathered together to learn the skills of baking sourdough bread and know that a great loaf does not happen by accident. In fact, sometimes a great loaf doesn't even happen on purpose, right? There are very particular skills to make that happen. A couple weeks ago, our church was greatly blessed to watch the Jehovah Jireh video talking about how God has provided for our church over the years. And I heard so many comments saying that was fantastic because it it was thoughtfully and carefully and deliberately crafted. There were skills that were used. So skills refer to wisdom and wisdom refers to a certain set of skills. But as we look at Proverbs, the type of skills that is talked about here is how to live life skillfully. How to live life in the way that reflects what God intends life to be. We live in a world that says there are many ways to do life. You be you. But there is a right way and there is a wrong way. There's a way to live that reflects the beauty of God's design. And there's a way to live that tramples and blasphemes his design. And the Proverbs gives that which God has revealed, the wisdom or the skill of living in the fear of the Lord, how to do so. So if you are able, please stand with me. I want to read for us Proverbs chapter 1. Verses 1 through 7, our text this morning. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction. To discern the sayings of understanding. To receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the naive 
to the youth knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. To understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Oh, how we need what this book offers. We need it desperately. And the first seven verses that I read for you, these are intended to to tell you why you need what is revealed in this book. These verses are the the prologue of a book and the prologue for the rest of the book. And the the prologue, you've seen this in books that you've read. If if you've had textbooks that you've had to read for school and you're assigned a book and you wonder, do I have to read the prologue or not? You should read the prologue. The prologue tells you why this book is important and it's it's there to draw you in and to, to say it's worth your time to keep reading. And we see examples of many people that are living life without skill. And they are causing more damage than merely merely ruining a a kitchen appliance through unskilled decisions and habits and pursuits and goals and aimless living and immorality with all the physical and relational fallout. Families are being destroyed and especially the eternal consequences of God's wrath are being poured out on those that disregard his way. We need the skills that are offered in this book. And we can experience skillful living in a sinful world as we understand how to live before God among mankind. That means not just in theory, but how we live before God in this world we are in with the people that are around us in that world that's out there. We can experience skillful living. From the opening verses of this book, we're going to see five characteristics of the wisdom necessary to live God's way in God's world. First is this. Let's consider the source of wisdom from verse 1. The source of wisdom. Where does wisdom for living come from? Where do we get that? You know, I... Check engine light came out on my Jeep, and I have no idea why. Where do I go to find the skill in that area? Well, probably a mechanic, I would assume, right? They have the information that I don't have. Where do we go to know how to live life in this world in which we are placed in? Let's go to the one who built it. Let's go to the one who made it. Throughout history, people have observed the value and beauty of those who act wisely or those who live with skill. And all religions and philosophies have even concocted their explanations for the source of wisdom. Some will say you you climb up this high mountain, you find a guy sitting up there and he's got some scroll and he's going to tell you all about it. The mythology of the Greeks and the Romans is, is interesting and it portrays wisdom coming from Athena or in the Roman version, Minerva. And the legend is, is that Zeus, the, the chief of all the, their gods, was fearful that the child of his wife, uh, Metis, that this child would lead to his undoing. And therefore, he got Metis to turn herself into a fly, and he swallowed her, thinking he con- contained her. Somehow she lived within him and even bore the child, Athena, inside of Zeus. And 
This obviously gave Zeus a headache, as you would imagine. And so he asked for a remedy, which in his, his mind was an axe to be used to split open his head. And so that happened. He, it said that happened. And the daughter Athena stepped out fully grown as the goddess of wisdom. And with her, an owl. And that's why they, we always have the phrase, wise as an owl. I mean, an explanation like that gives me a splitting headache. So, so rather than concoct something ridiculous from our imaginations about how we might live, let's just look at what the text says. And look at it says in verse 1, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. As we consider the source, I want us to know this. Solomon is the primary author of Proverbs. Solomon is the primary author of, of Proverbs. The book of wisdom containing so many of these Proverbs has been given by the man Solomon. Now, some of the books in our Bible don't state specifically who the human author is. For example, Hebrews. Uh, But we often have explicit identification of who has written the book, who penned it. And here we have that specifically in verse 1, the Proverbs of Solomon. And then more explanation. You go later in the book in chapter 10, verse 1, it says the Proverbs of Solomon there. And then even in chapter 25, verse 1, there it says, These also are Proverbs of Solomon, which the men Hezekiah, king of Judah, transcribed. Hezekiah lived many years after Solomon. And under his reign, they were accumulating all that Solomon had had written and putting it together into this book form and compiling the the collection. There's a few other authors listed as supplements to Solomon's great work. Proverbs 30 verse 1 says the words of Agur, the son of Jachay. And 31.1, it says the words of King Lemuel. Some have thought that that's another name for Samuel. But these are additions or these are... um, supplements to Solomon's great work. Over the years, many have been dismissive about the human authors. And it's, it's so sad. I mean, you, you read these commentaries and, and you, the, the whole beginning of a commentary of, of liberal scholars are telling you why the text doesn't mean what it actually says. And that the, Paul wasn't actually Paul who wrote it and someone wrote it in his, his name. And people have done that even here with, with Solomon. And that it, it's not Solomon, but it's actually just a mosaic of writers doing, giving this in his honor. But that's not what our Bibles say. It says the Proverbs of Solomon. You think, well, is it the same Solomon we know? Well, it says the son of David. David had many sons. He was the king of Israel. It's very, very specific for us. I mean, you can trust your Bibles. We should not be surprised as the man Solomon was qualified to provide Proverbs that reveal wisdom. You remember Solomon's family history. He was the tenth son of his father David, the second of his mother Bathsheba. He, the right to reign, was passed from David to Solomon, but not without complications of family and politics. But after Solomon consolidated his right to rule, He offered sacrifices to Yahweh because he loved the Lord God like his father David did. And in 1 Kings 3, God appears to Solomon in a dream and he told him, ask whatever you want 
And Solomon asked that God would give him understanding of heart and the ability to discern between good and evil as he reigned over these people. And God says to him in 1 Kings 3, 11 and following, he says, God said, because you have asked this thing and have not asked for yourself long life, nor have asked riches for yourself, nor have asked for the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself discernment to understand justice, behold, I have done according to your words. Behold, I have given you a wise and discerning heart so that there has been no one like you, bef- no one like you before you, nor Shall one like you arise after you? And God also said, I will also give you riches and and honor along with the wisdom. And Solomon applied the skills of, of understanding how the world works to many areas of life. And his skills were widely known. It says in 1 Kings 4, sorry, in verse 29. Now God gave Solomon wisdom and a very great discernment and breadth of mind like the sand that is of the seashore. Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the sons of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he is wiser than all men, than Ethan and Ezahite and Heman and Calcol and Darda, the sons of Mahol. And his fame was known in all surrounding nations. He also spoke 3,000 proverbs and his songs were 1,005. He spoke of trees from cedar that is in Lebanon, even to the hyssop that grows on the walls. He spoke also of animals and birds and creeping things and fish. Men came from all peoples to hear the wisdom of Solomon, from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. See, much had been entrusted to this man in the way of wisdom. And therefore Solomon was very impressive. Many came to see him from far. They were fans and they they wanted to learn from Solomon. So is Solomon the source of wisdom? No. Solomon was flawed. Very flawed. He took the wisdom God had gifted to him And though he did good with it, he also used that gift improperly. We see he also wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. And in that book, he explains how at some point in his life, he began to test life. He began to test life and he described it as everything under the sun is the phrase that's repeated. And that describes the the realm of his testing. He was considering a life, he was considering life apart from who is above the sun or who is the maker of the sun. How satisfying is life when we do not consider God or we seek to exclude God? And Solomon tested everything in that rubric and he found it to be vanity, to be empty. He says it was grievous. It was even hateful. And so Solomon in such foolishness accumulated wives and concubines and horses and treaties with other nations. And his heart was turned from the true God to sadly and shamefully even serving false gods. And at the end of his life, he appears to have come to his senses in repentance. And he says at the end of Ecclesiastes, the conclusion, 
when all has been heard is fear God and keep his commandments because this applies to every person. You, you could just see him saying that in tears. This applies to every person. Even the king is not above such wisdom. So while we see that God certainly used Solomon to communicate much wisdom, Solomon is not the source of wisdom. What he had to give was good, but it did not come from him. So while we see that he is, he is the author of most of these Proverbs, we see also in this, as we consider the source, God is the sole author of wisdom. God is the sole author of, of wisdom. While the scriptures we have have been penned by human authors, such was accomplished by the work of the Holy Spirit, guiding their mind and their hands so that it was God's wisdom that was communicated through these flawed people. That's why we see in, in 2 Timothy 3, verses 15 and 16, Paul writing to Timothy, and he says, From your childhood, you've known the sacred writings, which would include Proverbs, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in in righteousness. God is the source. We see Peter writing of this. 1 Peter 1, 20 and 21. Know this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by the act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Solomon certainly penned these words, but he was moved by the Holy Spirit speaking God's message. God is the source. I mean, and Solomon even tells us this. Turn over in a page of yours to chapter 2, verse 6. He says, For the Lord, Yahweh, gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and and understanding. It's, It's this reason that in James, at the beginning of James's book, which James is called the Proverbs of the New Testament, he says right at the beginning, but if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask who? Of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. And so it's important for us to remember that the source of wisdom is Almighty God, who is perfect. Because to bring this back to where we live in this world, this sinful world that we, we want to live skillfully in, so often we become distracted and discouraged by the clay pots of people whom the Lord uses to deliver his goods. How often have we received, how often have you received in the past teaching of the truth through a vessel, a pastor, or an author of some Christian book, or a Sunday school teacher, or a discipleship leader. And later, flaws and cracks are found in that person. And we may be tempted to discount the truth that they delivered to us. But that should not be the case. The truth does not come from any preacher. It comes from God, who is perfectly faithful 
And I know to say perfectly faithful is redundant, but I say that for, for emphasis because God is perfectly faithful and therefore trustworthy. And we should be thankful for God, how God used Solomon and any other preacher or teacher or discipleship leader that he's used to deliver truth. But we are trusting not in man, we are trusting in God alone. This is why I love what Paul writes at the end of Romans 11. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. And together we say what? Amen. That's what the scripture says. We can experience skillful living in a sinful world as we understand how to live before God as we live among mankind. And to do so, we come to God and his resource for wisdom. We don't come to ourselves. We don't come to man's crazy ideologies and mythologies. Or we don't come to people's ingenuities. We come to the source of wisdom, which is God himself. Let's consider a second characteristic of wisdom. We need as we are living before God. Number two, consider the skills of wisdom. The skills of wisdom, here in the main section of this, verses two through six. As I said, the word translated wisdom in verse two is that Hebrew word chokmah, which refers to skill to do something specific. Know this, wisdom, wisdom is not some erudite concept it is practical knowledge, okay? This isn't ivory tower stuff that has nothing to do with how we actually live. No, it is practical, practical knowledge. It is useful. It is not merely theoretical. It works. So what does this skill from God equip us to do in the world that we live in? Well, Solomon lays it out clearly. It's like he's writing a syllabus for a class. He says, here's what you can expect to get from this book. The book will lead you to certain skills. And if you're reading from the New American Standard, the translation of those specifics are prefaced in verses 2 through 6. And it has before it the little word to prefaces what it's giving to us. To know, to discern, to receive, to give, to understand. So let's look at the skills we gain as we give ourselves to this book. First, from to know, we get a knowledge of the truth. To know wisdom and instruction. As we read this, we will be able to know wisdom and instruction. The, the Proverbs were given through Solomon for the purpose of introducing the readers to the skills and disciplines needed to live life in God's design. I've already explained the word chokmah, wisdom there. But that next word, instruction, goes with it. It's this word that means it means uh, discipline. It's the practice of the skills so that it becomes muscle memory to what we're doing. Some of you in sports, you will spend time, if it's baseball or softball, at the batting cage, right? And you'll, you'll be hitting that, swinging at that ball again and again. Or if it's, if it's basketball, you're shooting from the free throw line. You don't just hit one ball or make one basket and go like, oh, I guess that's how it works. Let's move on. 
No, you, you do it again and again and again. And so it just naturally happens. It's, it's like it's built into you. And Proverbs has us to do this. If you are, have, are looking for skills in writing, what do you do? Do you just read about writing? No, you actually have to start writing. You're like, well, I have writer's block. Well, just write anyways. And eventually, eventually it will work out. You have to just use the skills. So Proverbs is given that one may know such things and know how it works and to do it. To know that they matter to God. To know that God has a way in which things should be done. So what kind of things will we learn from in in this book? Well, we're going to learn what God says is an abomination. We're going to learn how to live in light of aging We'll learn about alcohol and anger and authority and benevolence and blessing and children and correction and counsel and creation and descendants and discipline and evildoers and fear and foolishness and friendships. And that's just partway through the alphabet of, of, of subjects. When I, when I was a kid, I remember my, our dad sitting us down in the mornings before he went to work and we went to school and reading through Proverbs and we'd have a notepad out with columns of various categories. And as we'd read through and go like, oh, that verse fits here and oh, that verse fits here. And so we, we were able to see what all this talked about. And this book introduces us to the, such subjects that we might know. And if you are not talking to your kids and raising your family or considering for yourself the subjects that you don't just naturally experience, people will be blindsided when they are hit. And so we must know even before we experience such things. And so this is the skill of knowledge. Secondly, we see what we gain from the second part of verse 2 is discernment of the truth. To discern the sayings of understanding. A Hebrew word translated discern is this Hebrew word, sounds like ben. And in seminary, when we had to memorize vocabulary, you're just desperate trying to memorize it so you could pass the quiz. And I remember using the, the idea of the concept of bins in the garage. And that we have bins in the garage. And I put this here, and I put that there, and this goes here, and that goes there. And, and this organization to be able to sort out and determine between. And that's what this, this word means. Uh, the word for discernment means that we will be equipped by Proverbs to be able to tell what is truth and what is an imposter of truth. Because you have everybody, we, we live in this information age, and everyone is saying, listen to me and do it this way, and here's the best way. And we're going like, oh, okay, well, who, where do I get it from? As we gain the skills of Proverbs, we could say like, oh, yes, that's right. Oh, reject that. And that's what we gain. Proverbs contains contrasting examples. It shows the difference between the diligent and the lazy or the immoral and the virtuous. And so we need to be able to know what the truth is. And too often people have settled for, Pro, for Pilate's motto when he said to Jesus, what is the truth? What is truth? Who can say? God says. And God gives us the skills to be able to see what is truth. And this book helps us sort it out. A third skill in verse 3, is reception of the truth. To receive instruction in wise behavior. It's one thing to hear the truth and to recognize, yes, that is true. But it's entirely different when one receives the truth. They take it in. They agree with it. They live it out. Jesus told the parable 
of the sea that was cast out and some fell on the hard ground that was like the road and it was not received because the birds stole it away. Was the problem that it was bad seed? No. It was that it was not received and it was taken away. And, and this, this is what this word is, is talking about. It's, it's receiving instruction. It's taking it in. This, this picture is the opposite of the, the cultural proverb that we have. Again, not biblical, but the proverb of you can lead a horse to water, but what? You, you can't make him drink. Some people can get all the information of the truth, but still not receive it. I remember when I was graduating from college, there was a guy graduating the same year as I, and he was bragging that he avoided walking into the library the entire four years of his study. Now, this was before the internet, so it mattered, right? You couldn't get it anywhere else. And I'm thinking, what a wasted opportunity. You just wasted these years. And, but what Proverbs is doing is it's wooing us. We just sang about that, being wooed by the truth. It's wooing us to receive. It serves as, you know, you can say you, you can't lead the, uh, you can lead the horse to water, but you can't make him drink. It's like what Proverbs is doing is it's salting the oats uh, to make us thirsty for that, that water. It, it's illustrated, it illustrates the blessings of heeding instruction. You see that in chapter 6. It says, look at the ant. And you see how they work and you see the benefit. And it, it tells us the blessings. It also warns us of the consequences it says, look at the immoral person. You think they're going to get away from that? Well, let me ask you. Can someone bring hot coals into their, to themselves and not get burned? No. Don't be foolish. So it, it warns us. It even mocks and uses sarcasm. And he says that I will laugh at your calamity in chapter 1, verse 26. It says, don't be such a fool. So it, it's wooing us to receive it. Notice also, fourthly, the blessing from the truth. This is another skill. And here it talks about it will give. It will give to you. Verses 4 and 5. This book gives. And this is a gift. This is the, truly the gift that keeps on giving. It's like compounding interest for investors. Because as it gets bigger, as it accumulates more. It's like a, it's like a snowball rolled down the hill that gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And before you know it, you have this avalanche of blessing coming upon the person. Think of avalanche in a good way if that's possible, okay? It, it gives prudence. It gives knowledge. It gives discretion. It says in verse 4, these are words used describing the ability to plan in such a way that a goal can be accomplished. We so often hear people complain about younger generations that are aimless or shiftless and they give no thought about the future. Proverbs helps us see the end and plan accordingly. So if you have a problem with some other generation, invest in them with this because it's through this that, that we are equipped, we're skilled so that we can see the end and plan accordingly. And a fifth skill gained from Proverbs is the ability to be able to use the truth. Verse 6, to understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles. 
This actually is a translation of the same word used before, bend, which means to sort out. And, and here we see it, reading this book will help us learn how to use the book. I remember years ago, I was having car problems, and, and uh, probably another check engine light came on. And, and one of the auto parts stores had this deal that you could come in and borrow their code. You know, the thing that they plug into the, to the engine, and it tells you the code of what's going on. I thought, yeah, this will be good. So I get it, and I plug it in, and the code comes up, whatever it says, E something or whatever like that. And I go like, hmm, now what? I still don't know what to do with that. So let me go to the mechanic, right? And it's like, it, it tells me what's wrong with my car, but I don't know how to unpack that. I don't know how to take it out. And, and some of these proverbs were just, it uses words of, of proverbs and, um, and we're using things that it's, it's hard. And, but as we read this book, we become wiser and more able to use it. And you don't necessarily need a class about proverbs before you begin to use it. You just need to start reading it and keep at it, and you'll be able to sort out figures and proverbs and riddles in the words of the wise. So we can experience skillful living in a sinful world as we understand how to live before God among mankind through these skills. You know, parents, parents go to all lengths to get their kids the best. They get them into the best schools or under the, the most sought-out personal trainer for their sport or coveted opportunities that will stand out on a college application. And you professionals, you will get key credentials and make right contacts so that your resume rises to the top. Fine, whatever. But are you neglecting this resource that gives the skills of living before God? If you neglect the Proverbs... God has a name for you. And it's found in verse 7. I'll let you look at that on your, your, on your own time. Let's look quickly at the third characteristic of wisdom necessary to live God's way in God's world. We see the source is God. We see the, the skills that are laid out of what it gives for us. Look at number three, the students of wisdom. The students of wisdom, verses 4 and 5. Who should be a student of this book? So often people are sitting in a sermon, sitting under a sermon, thinking of someone else, right? Oh man, they should have came today. Or, hey, are you listening, right? Who is, who is to be under this? Know this. Who is this book intended for? First, wisdom is for the young and inexperienced. Wisdom is for the young and inexperienced. In verse 4, we see the young mentioned and naive are mentioned, benefiting from this study. Young is a word used for everyone from infancy to young adulthood. It, it was used to describe Moses when he was in the basket in Exodus chapter 2, verse 6. But it was also used to describe David's son Absalom. He was a man, a young man at the time in 2 Samuel 14, 21, but still one, still developing. And naive, young and naive. So one that is growing, still growing, but then naive uh, that's how the New American Standard translated. If you have the ESV, it calls it the simple. Or the CSB calls it the inexperienced. It speaks of someone who has not yet had the experiences of life. They are not swayed one way or another. Uh, we used to live in the Central Valley where there was a lot of fruit trees. And, you know, they could shape the trees when they were young. But when they're older... 
they become harder and crustier, right? And you can't move them without breaking. And this is talking about those that can still be molded. Often, the phrase open-minded is used to describe the naive. Now, we live in a world that people say, open-minded is a virtue. You should seek to be more and more open-minded. Now, Scripture doesn't condemn open-minded in and of itself. It just says it's not, it's just a reality of life for the young. But it's not where we should stay. In fact, if one clings to their naivete, instead of pursuing wisdom, they then move from being naive to being foolish. And Proverbs is just what the young and the inexperienced need. You think, oh, good. Young people, pay attention. Yes, do, right? But not just for them. Wisdom is also for the wise and the understanding. Look at verse 5. A wise man will hear. And what? Increase in learning. He's growing. A man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. We see that they are constantly improving and gaining more. You see why the study of this book is so good for churches as a whole and families and groups of mixed ages and groups and backgrounds. It's for everyone who sees the need of wisdom. You will never outgrow this curriculum. Every one of us, every one of us, young and old, inexperienced and Those with much experiences can experience skillful living in a sinful world as we understand how to live before God among mankind. Let's look at a fourth characteristic. A fourth characteristic for wisdom necessary to live God's way in God's world. And here we see in verse 6 the struggle for wisdom. The struggle for wisdom. As As we give ourselves to this book... Honestly, this is not the easiest literature to understand. It takes careful thought to interpret correctly. Such requires patience and perseverance. This is hard for us who are used to Google. That, I mean, you just just type it. You could get any, any lame fact about any old movie you want through Google in a moment, and then you sound like somebody who knows the things of the world. And we just get it like that. But that's not how Proverbs works. The design of Proverbs is intentionally slowing us down. So it doesn't come quickly. That actually, if you, if you answer quickly, you're seen as a fool. The design of Proverbs is to make one Think and contemplate the truth in the context of one's particular situation. The the word translated proverb in verse 1 and also in in verse 6 is this Hebrew word mashal, which means means to be like or compared with. It's not the exact subject, but it's like that and helps you look at it from another angle. Dan Phillips in his commentary defines a proverb as, as, quote, a proverb is a compressed statement of wisdom, artfully crafted to be striking, thought-provoking, memorable, and practical, end quote. It, it teaches wisdom, but it also requires wisdom for its correct interpretation and application. These are 
short statements that have often comparing or contrasting pairs to make a point. You'll see two lines together, and they're either two things similar or two things that total opposite. Uh, therefore, and, and they're applied to various contexts of life. Therefore, what the proverb says is true, but sometimes there's an exception to that rule. But it doesn't mean that that's not the rule. The proverb has something true to say about a subject, but it doesn't say everything to say about that subject. And so we have to take it and chew on it and pray over it. Proverbs are hard for the prideful and the impatient people. We, yes, we, are like saying, hey, just the facts, ma'am. Just give it to me quickly. Proverbs slows down so that we would wrestle through the difficulties of life. They're not quick, one-size-fits-all solutions. So if the struggle for wisdom is hard for you and humbles you, that's good. That leads us, leads us to the final characteristic of wisdom. Number five, the start of wisdom. The start of wisdom, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And elsewhere, verse 9, it says the beginning of wisdom. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. We end our sermon where wisdom begins. Now, I'm only going to touch on this. Next time I preach from Proverbs, I'm going to elaborate on this verse because this is the key to the whole book. But the fear of the Lord describes responding appropriately to God. It means you take God seriously. Solomon tried to test wisdom of all things under the sun, finding meaning of life without considering the maker of the sun. And he found that pursuit to be pointless. And in the end, he says, fear God. This is where you should start. Fear God at the beginning. And at the end of your life, you will agree, fear God and keep his commandments. The fear of the Lord is, is to be afraid enough to care what he says and humble enough to submit to his authority. It encompasses both reverence and respect, dread and wonder. <laughs> As we were talking about Job and how indescribable God is, Job puts his hand over his mouth. Who am I to speak? God, you are God, not me. That is the fear of the Lord. You know God is watching and God cares. Life only makes sense in relationship with God. And so let me bring you back to a verse I mentioned earlier, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Where Paul writes to Timothy, From your childhood, you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. That's what he was given as he was given the scriptures, the wisdom that leads him to the gospel. This book gives the wisdom that leads us to see our need of salvation before a, a holy God. And that salvation is found only in God's promises, God's promised one, the Christ, who is Jesus. You see, this book is not just about gaining skills for life, 
skills to, to function well in this world. It's functioning before God in his world. Think of the parable that Jesus told of the man who built those barns and decided to build bigger barns. I mean, that man had skills. He knew how to build. He knew how to build barns. He knew how to fill barns. He was a successful business person. But he was not considering God. And what was he called? You fool. You fool. For he, he despised God in that. And that is not true wisdom. We will be convicted that we fall short of God's righteous standard. But we remember Jesus lived under the law. Growing in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. He is our righteousness. He is our wisdom. We cannot atone for our sin as we read the scriptures. But God provided salvation in Christ. And the fear of the Lord says, I trust in your provision alone. Fearing God is to trust God as your your only savior. It's, as Moses will say later in the law of Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12. Now Israel, what does Yahweh, the Lord your God, require from you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and love him and serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. Every one of us can experience skillful living in a sinful world as we understand how to live before God among mankind. Would you begin by first considering what is your relationship with God? Are you at peace with God through Jesus Christ? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Is the fear of God seen in you that you recognize you are a sinner in need of a Savior and Jesus is the Savior? Would you evaluate how deliberate you are to pursue God's wisdom personally and with others? For those of you that that are single and not married, you need a sounding board of others who are considering these truths and are working through this together. For those who are married, your home needs what this book offers. For those with the responsibility for a new generation of children in your home or in your class or in your relationships, they are desperate for such. Might we grow in this truth? So how deliberate are you? It doesn't just happen. And if any of you lacks wisdom, and I'm sure there are many of us, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives it generously without reproach. And he gives it through his scriptures. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much that we can open up the Bible. And Calvary Bible Church, Lord, loves and honors your word. I would pray, Father, that we will not just be hearers of it, but doers of it. Not in our strength, but, Lord, by your spirit. And so we would ask that you would do a great and gracious work in all of us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Scripture quotations taken from the New American Standard Bible. Copyright by the Lockman Foundation.